Thanks for listening to AM620 KTOJ, Portland's only progressive talk station. Now, coming to you live from the banks of the Willamette River, it's Mad as Hell in America with Adam Klugman. You've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. My life has value. Online at 620KTOJ.com and on the air at AM620 KTOJ. I want you to get up right now and go to the window and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Welcome back to the third hour of Mad as Hell in America. I'm your host, Adam Klugman, and you're listening to AM 620K POJ, Portland's smart talk station. And it was a momentous occasion for me. I had my first guard-carrying Republican on Mad as Hell in America. They are lunch-pail Republicans. I wish I had more time with them. I'm going to invite them back as the campaign in Indiana moves forward. They are trying to turn Indiana into a work, a right-to-work state, right, which happened under this NRLB decision that David Fagan of lunch-pail Republicans was talking about, saying that unions could not mandate that people join the union in order to work. Well, and they... Frame it under right to work, worker freedom. But what it really is, is an effort to undermine unions. And there is a big campaign going on in Indiana to turn it into a right to work state. NRLB gave the states the right to turn their states into right to work states. And these are a bunch of Republicans who are tired of the anti-labor stance that this Republican Party has been taking in the last 20 years. And they are taking a stand against that party. And I think it could be the beginning of something really big. And that is what I didn't have time to get into with David Fagan. But I think Republicans standing up to this Republican Party and saying, you are not Republicans. You do not stand for what the Republican Party stood for. That is what we need. We haven't seen that since Ronald Reagan, because the Republican Party up until now has just been lockstep behind whoever calls themselves a Republican. If they have an R by their name, they're right. Doesn't matter what. It doesn't matter if they're hypocritical. Doesn't matter what the prior stance has been. If they're Republicans and I'm a Republican, they're right. It makes them strong, but it also makes them incredibly hypocritical and dangerous. Let's go to calls. Let's go to Virginia. Thanks for holding, Virginia and Portland. Welcome to Mad as Hell in America. Hey, if you have that Republican back on, one of the questions you have to ask him is, why are you a Republican? Well, it was, it was where I wanted to go. I wish I had more time with him, Virginia. Yeah, it's a great question. Listen, I want to tie your first two hours together. I'm really happy about three things that happened this week. One is the president saying no to the Keystone Pipeline. That was huge. The second is the president channeling Al Green at the Apollo Theater. (laughs) I thought that was a fabulous, fabulous thing. Yes. And the third is that Gingrich has beaten Romney in South Carolina, so this clown parade is going to continue. I think the longer these guys talk... The worse they look. It's like uh, pit bulls tearing each other up. They just keep bloodying each other and making each other look like chumps. And they just kind of down the rung they go. And South Carolina is the perfect venue. I mean, it was the first state to secede from the Union, right? (laughs) And Mitt Romney owns the plantation. And Newt Gingrich is the overseer who can't keep himself from being unnecessarily cruel and fooling around in the slave quarters. He's the guy with the whip. And Santorum is sli- is chasing escaped slaves with a pack of hounds. I mean, uh, I, I this think, is who these guys are. I think Santorum is the he's the priest, he's the pastor, right? Who goes around he trying to convert be. everybody? Yeah, he might be. Yeah, he the, might be. It's a scary group of but people. But he's making.
making his money on the side chasing slaves. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. I mean, but taking guys, a moral stand. These guys are unbelievable. And I just think the longer this goes on, uh, the more they will all have revealed themselves to be hateful human beings. And that's really what this is all about. Mm. I mean, do we want a future where we embrace our fellow human beings or do we want a future where all we can think to do is whack them with a stick these yeah. guys are all wandering around wanting to whack anybody who appears the least bit scary the least bit non-white the least bit non-christian yeah. the least bit you know they're they're just they're all hate mongers they are and we're not going to do that on our side virginia i do appreciate the call uh there was also some good news that happened um, 1.9 million, 1.9 million signatures were gathered to recall Governor Scott Walker. Now that is an amazing result. And along with it, all of his cronies were included in that. They're, now, even if they throw out 500,000 signatures, that's still twice as many signatures as they needed. It was a huge success, and it is a mandate and a shot across the bow of Republicans who want to strip unions of their rights to collectively bargain that they better watch their ass. Let's go to Ula. Ula, thanks for holding. Welcome to Mattis Hell in America. Yeah, hey, thank you. Good show, as always. Thanks. I was just wondering, why doesn't somebody in the crowd just say right out loud, look, Mr. Gingrich, if a nurse or a teacher or a cop was fined $500 for ethics violations, they would be out of a job and the whole community would know about it. Now, how does this geezer get along with having been fined $300,000? That's more than a quarter million bucks for ethics violations. And he wants to be a moral leader. I know, and he wants to be a moral leader. I don't know how they get away with it. We would never get away with it on our side. I mean, no, but the whole thing is, why doesn't anybody in the press ask him right up and say, look here, man, you want to be a moral leader. We already know that you're a serial philanderer. You right. like your wife's right, left, and center. But your own peers, people that you supposedly work with, thought you so disgusting that they tossed you out and find you more than a quarter of a million dollars for ethics violations. Why didn't you tell us what those ethics violations were? Ooh, I think that's a great point. I haven't heard that question come up at any one of the debates. And I guarantee you what would happen would be that Newt would go on the offensive. That's what he does, right? Uh, when, yeah, when, he, when somebody asks him a question that he does not have a decent answer to, what he does is attack. And, and that bloodthirsty Republican crowd that attend those debates, they love it, man. They love blood. Oh, Let somebody stand up there who can't be bought by the Republicans or by the president, just say, listen, mister, I don't want to hear you vacillating or attacking me. I want you to give a straight answer to a straight question. Never mind about taking us up the river or down the river. Just answer, why did they fine you more than a quarter million dollars? And what were those ethics violations? And don't take somewhere else. Uh, Ula, I wish you were asking the questions at the Republican debate. This country would be doing a whole lot better. And certainly those debates would be a little more substantive. I mean, it's yeah, just madness. Yeah, people like you who, who have a voice, and a good voice at that, and enjoyable, straight, direct, humorous, but also really, really soft. Why don't you start pushing this with your friends in the press and in the news and the papers and whatever radio? Just say, let's just start quote-unquote, ganging up on Newt. Don't let him take us astray. Don't let him answer a question 
with a question. Just say, Newt, what is you it? answer this question and don't wander off with the dog. That's right. Ula, thanks so much for the call. I will do that. No one's going to let me in. And I don't have any friends in the press. Uh, but if I had them, uh, I would love to get a shot at Newt Gingrich. That would be amazing. Um, well, our next guest is Lee Camp. He's a good friend of the show. LeeCamp.net is the website. I always say that I hesitate to just call him a comedian because he's so much more than a comedian. He is a comedian, I think, in the tradition of Lenny Bruce and of George Carlin in that it is very very much social commentary. It isn't like, hey, remember what's with grape and nuts? This is uh, someone who is making fierce and insightful social commentary and who puts his money where his mouth is by being on the ground and an actor playing this clip. He probably is hates that I play this clip every time, but this is my dream come true. Uh, in a minute, Lee Camp's going to be here and do his moment of clarity, but first, this is Lee Camp on Fox News, I think living out everybody's dream. All right, Julia and Lee, we appreciate it. And I'm sure you guys are going to have a lot more jokes for the rest of the campaign here. Oh, they just keep going. What? Can I, can I just ask a question? Sure. What, what is Fox News? It's just a parade of propaganda, isn't it? It's just a, it's just a festival of ignorance. What? Why, a million Fox people are dead in Iraq. Come on, this is ridiculous. What's the point of this? Um, this is insane. Well, I love, uh, go out, I love people Fox at home. News. Go outside. Go, go hug Lee, your children. You should be more. Well, Lee, Fox you should be more worried. Love your family. You know, and you, you get all the news. Right. Fox, you get all the news you can at Fox News. All right, thanks. And guys. I think, oh, okay. All right, that's it. All right. I just love this man for doing that. He is my hero. Lee Camp is our guest. Check him out at LeeCamp.net. He does something at least once a week, sometimes twice a week, called the Moment of Clarity. Lee Camp, welcome to Mattis Hell in America. Hey, thanks for having me. You will never cease to be my hero for that moment. Uh, I send it around to all my friends. It's fantastic. So, uh, Lee Camp, Moment of Clarity, the floor is yours. Have at it, man. Thanks, Adam. I hate to be racist here. I hate to stereotype. But let's cut the crap. Let's stop being politically correct just for a second. Let's stop blowing smoke up each other's asses and tiptoeing around the truth. Let's stop greasing each other's shuttlecocks and fluffing each other's <laughs> fluffer nutter sandwiches. That's an expression, isn't it? Again, I'm sorry to be a racist, but here, but there's a certain type of people in this country who are truly and utterly tearing it apart. They suck away our resources. They destroy the environment. They don't give a flying crap about anyone but themselves. They don't take care of their kids, and they reproduce like freaking bunny rabbits during a blizzard with a refrigerator full of Cialis-laced carrots. That's an expression, isn't it? No one wants to talk about it, but these people take our jobs, take our benefits, destroy our futures, and expect us to take care of them when they need help. And let's be honest, I don't even think these people are human. They don't look human, do they? I'm talking, of course, about corporations. The Citizens United decision in the Supreme Court declared that corporations are people and that money counts as speech. So for the first time in my life, I'm a freaking racist. I think an entire group of people should not be given the same rights as the rest of us. You know, there's a famous passage in Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice in which Shylock expresses that he is as human as anyone else by saying, if you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? And we learn two things from that passage. A, Shylock is indeed a person. And B, 
I should never do Shakespeare. <laughs> but here's the thing. Ever since the Supreme Court de- the Supreme Court decided this rancid, stinking, vomitous Citizens United case, I have spent most of my waking hours trying to tickle corporations. And you know what I found? It doesn't work. It doesn't freaking work. They don't giggle, chuckle, chortle, or snortle. Not a peep. I tried tickling in the ribs, in the armpits, even tried sticking a feather up their nose. Nothing. Turns out they don't even have a freaking nose. Corporations are not people, yet we have bestowed upon them all of the rights of being a person and none of the responsibility. BP dumped 210 million gallons of oil into the Gulf of Mexico, and they continue to operate essentially the same as before. On the other hand, if Vinny, the guy who owns my bagel shop around the corner, had dumped 210 million gallons of oil into the Gulf of Mexico, the courts would likely sentence him to no more Vinny. All right. Corporate personhood is the nail in the coffin of this democracy. We all need to get involved in stopping it. That's the moment of clarity. Keep fighting, everybody. Lee Camp, thank you very much. LeeCamp.net. You can subscribe to his podcast there. You want to do it, I get them, and they give me a chuckle every time. Sometimes they're really funny. Sometimes they're really painful. Lee Camp is much more than a comedian. Lee Camp, thank you very much. Thank you. When we come back, David Swanson will be here. He is the editor of a new book called The Military-Industrial Complex at 50. Uh, It is a compilation of startling essays about the military-industrial complex. He has done an absolutely brilliant job of editing these together. When we come back, it's going to be David Swanson. You're listening to AM620 KPOJ, Portland's only smart station. This is Adam Klugman. We'll be right back. America. Now on 620 KPOJ. Your construction smells of corruption. I'll manipulate to recreate. This air to go around saga. Gotta launder my charmer. Charmer, charmer, charmer. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. Good evening, my fellow Americans. We now stand ten years past the midpoint of a century that has witnessed four major wars among great nations. Until the latest of our world conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. American makers of plowshares could with time, and as required, make swords as well. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. Added to this, three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. Now this conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the imperative need for this development, yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. Our toil, resources, and livelihood are all involved. 
so is the very structure of our societies. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals so that security and liberty may prosper together. That was President Eisenhower on January 17, 1961, coining a term that no one had ever heard before, the military-industrial complex. Here to help us make sense of it, uh, this is actually, we're on the 50th anniversary of this, uh, and there's a new book out edited by David Swanson called The Military-Industrial Complex at 50. It's got a great graphic on the cover. It's a birthday cake. The icing coming out of the middle is blood, and the candles are 50 missiles. Uh, David Swanson is going to be our guest. He is author of War is a Lie and Daybreak, Undoing the Imperial Presidency and Forming a More Perfect Union. He blogs at davidswanson.org and War is a crime.org. David Swanson is a supremely articulate advocate for peace and one of our nation's most engaged social activists. He is author of the book called, recently called, uh, When We Outlawed War, and also editor of a recently released compilation of essays called The Military-Industrial Complex at 50. Uh, David Swanson, welcome to Mad as Hell in America. Hi, Adam. Great to be here. Always good. God, this book is tremendous. Um, I was trying to explain it to my wife. It's a compilation of essays of the most articulate people I've never heard of. Uh, it really is remarkable. Uh, the, the the amount of information about what uh, the history of the military-industrial complex in it is just staggering. Um, they can buy People can buy this book at davidswanson.org. Is that right? Uh, yeah, get directly to it at mic50.org, mic50.org, or Amazon, Barnes & Noble's, uh, your local independent bookstore, whatever. Okay, so uh, that was the famous speech that I played for people, so they have a context for the conversation that we are going to be having. Um, well, the, the, my first question on this, and I want to talk a little bit about the book, is, I mean, this was pretty startling. Uh, first of all, what was the response in its day? But it's a pretty startling admission from a president, uh, because we're kind of accustomed to presidents not telling us the truth. What do you think motivated President Eisenhower to be so incredibly honest? Well, I think he was worried. Uh, he was uh, very afraid of what was going to become of this country as he saw this power growing and had seen it up close in person growing during his own presidency. Uh, you know, he said this on the way out the door on his last, you know, speech. Uh, and this was a president who had understood the issue fairly well even before he was president and had made a, a more powerful speech, in fact, about how every dollar spent on weapons is a, is, is a food taken out of the mouths of hungry children and so forth. Uh, this was a president who was less militaristic, uh, despite his military background, than many who came before and after him, uh, but who was not quite where I would have wanted him to be. I mean, all of these speeches, including the military-industrial complex speech, uh, which was originally military-industrial congressional complex, and that was censored, uh, also 
also argued that this wasn't our fault, that we were, we were forced yes. into this. This was necessitated by the Soviet Union's threat. Right. Uh, so he wasn't, he wasn't quite at the point of, uh, of opposing the, the military-industrial complex, even as he warned against it. So what is what is what in specific is he seeing happen that motivates this speech? I mean, what forces are coming together? Uh, what do you think? What do you think he's looking at? The uh, you know this was this was not uh, brand new. This was you know had largely grown since forty seven forty eight out of World War Two, which had sort of never ended. But he had seen the the entrenchment of a permanent and and increasingly profitable war industry uh, going against the tradition of raising an army as needed and going back to a peacetime status with greater civil liberties and lower taxes and so forth. We, we were in a, a permanent state of war, and we had seen the Korean War, uh, and we now had uh, a time where there was not a major war, and yet there was a major preparation for war. There was spending, you know, at the level as if there were war, when there wasn't, uh, and there were, there was the establishment of a bureaucracy that was part, part governmental and part quote unquote private, but paid for with public dollars, uh, that built its own momentum for more wars. That was constantly planning how can we, how can we engage in this war or that war? And, and if all you're doing is planning for possible war scenarios and building weapons and wanting to test them, it creates creates a certain momentum uh, that makes actual wars more likely than if you were planning possible paths toward peace. And it's exactly what we saw. We saw a more wars more likely. Our guest is David Swanson. He is author of Wars a Lie, Daybreak, Undoing the Imperial Presidency. He is also author of a book that came out recently called When We Outlawed War, an outstanding read, and editor of a new, recently released compilation of essays called MIC at 50. You can find out more MIC50.com. Is that right, David? Yeah. When we come back, I want to try to define what a military-industrial complex is, what an industrial complex is. We seem to have had an outbreak of industrial complexes over the last 30 or 40 years, so let's try to nail down what we mean when we, ter when we use that term. Uh, you're listening to Mad as Hell in America with Adam Klugman. This is AM620 KPOJ, Portland Smart Talk Station. We'll be back with David Swanson after this. Mad as hell in America. Now on 620 KPOJ. They wanna put guns in the sky. Welcome back to Mad as Hell in America. I'm your host, Adam Klugman, and you're listening to AM620KPOJ, Portland's talk station. Our guest is David Swanson. He blogs at davidswanson.org and also warisacrime.org. Uh, he is the author of an important new book called When We Outlawed War and also the editor of a recently released compilation of essays called MIC at 50 about the military-industrial complex at 50 years old. David Swanson, welcome back to the show. Thanks. 
Um, so before the break, I was saying that I wanted to get into this idea of, you know, defining what an industrial complex is. It seems to me that this seems to we use this term now to apply to the media industrial complex and the healthcare industrial complex and and, and the prison industrial complex. Uh, there seem to be a lot of industrial complexes up around. Um, what is an industrial complex and how can we understand it? Uh, it's a good question. I've never uh, actually heard or, or addressed before. I don't know if there's a, a, an accepted definition, but uh, to take a crack at it, I, I would say it is a uh, it, it's an industry that is dominated by a small monopolistic cartel of uh, of companies with little accountability, little transparency, uh, and a great deal of, of corporate welfare. Uh, many of the of the corporations uh, in the in the military industrial complex uh, live almost exclusively, uh, or at least depend for their existence on public dollars, uh, and get those very often through contracts that are not competitive uh, and. Uh, build products that uh, not only serve only the purpose of destruction and death, uh, but products that, uh, you know, that don't compete in any way, that aren't, uh, aren't accountable to any, any market forces or any public uh, will or anything else. It's, it's you know, the, and this particular complex, which has come to encompass many others uh, and grown dramatically and doubled in the past decade, uh, has grown to be more and more profitable and a, a easier cycling of the money in that uh, in that much more money flows into uh, the private so called private side of the military industrial complex and it 's much more uh, readily funneled back in, in in small fragments to congressional and presidential campaigns as so called contributions uh, which of course keeps the cycle of extortion and, and profiteering rolling along. I knew you would be the right guy to ask. I wouldn't be able to answer the question, but I knew you would be. And that does seem very apt for all of, as I said, the healthcare industrial complex and the media industrial complex. What we're seeing is this uh, across the board in our society, this concentration of power uh, within each element, this kind of monopolistic concentration of power and wealth in fewer and fewer hands and it seems to that that all systems throughout human history have had a tendency to do that but since the inception of the military industrial complex it seems to have set the model for how others will go about it within the the big business sector uh our guest is david swanson he blogs at davidswanson.org also at war is a crime.org he is author as i said of an important new book called when we outlawed war and editor of a recent comp a compilation of essays called MIC at 50, the military industrial complex. These segments are going really fast. Um, David, uh, let's talk a little bit about the way, uh, the, how this book got sourced. It, this wasn't something that you went around. Actually, let's go to break. And when we come back, I want to talk about the way this book came about because it wasn't, uh, you didn't go around and solicit these. The, this book came out of a three-day event that you attended. And I want to talk a little bit about that event and how it gave rise to a really uh, organic structure in the book itself that I think is really pow another powerful element of the book. Uh, David Swanson is our guest, davidswanson.org. You're listening to Matt as Hell in America. I'm Adam Klugman, and we'll be right back.
Hell in America with Adam Klugman. Now on Portland's Progressive Talk, 620 KPOJ. You've been sitting much too long. There's a permanent crease in your right and wrong. Welcome back to Mattis Hell in America. I'm your host, Adam Klugman, and our guest is David Swanson, author, not, uh, yes, author of an important new book called When We Outlawed War, and an editor of a really terrific compilation of essays called MIC at 50, that's Military Industrial Complex at 50. He blogs at davidswanson.org, also at warisacrime.org. David, welcome back to the show. Good to be back. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about how this book came about. You talk about it a little bit in your foreword. So uh, talk about that a bit. Well, we are just uh, this week at 51 years. We were last year uh, at 50 years since Eisenhower made that speech on his way out of uh, the office. And so we brought together uh, experts from within the military-industrial complex, from within the Pentagon and the CIA and the military, and from without, experts on the impact that this has on our economy, on the natural environment, on our civil liberties, on the rule of law, on uh, every aspect of our of our lives and our future and we looked at what the military industrial complex has become and we held a conference uh, for three days back in september uh, here in Charlottesville, Virginia, out of which came a resolution uh, arguing, you know, for, proposed to the city of Charlottesville uh, that we hope other towns and cities will now pick up, urging the president and Congress to significantly cut military spending and put the money into useful things like other wealthy nations have. And we added into that do not start a war on Iran. Uh, and we believe we were the first uh, city this was passed this week uh, by the the city council of Charlottesville, uh, the first city uh, in recent months anyway, to uh, tell the Congress and the president not to start another war and to end all the current ones. Uh, so we, we consider it a successful conference for having produced this book and for having at least gotten that resolution uh, through at least one town. Our guest is David Swanson. If you have a guest or a comment, you'd like to speak with David, this is a great opportunity to do it. 503-248-0620. are the numbers. Uh, whenever I'm not sure what to think about something that's come up, I go to davidswanson.org and think, what does David Swanson think? And it helps me get clear. David, a uh, pleasure to have you on the show as usual. Um, one of the things that I like about your book is the way that it's structured. You know, it, it starts out with an assessment and then kind of moves on. And, and by the end of it, we kind of organically find ourselves at solution. Um, is that something you intended or is that just how the conference went? Or, or talk a little bit about your choice to structure it as an editor. That is both the way we structured the order of the conference and the book, which more, which is almost entirely speeches from the conference and almost entirely follows the order in which they were presented over those three days. So we, we laid out the basic uh, situation on the first day and uh, various aspects of it on the second day and what can be done about it uh, on the third day. And uh, that was that was very much intentional. Um, I, I think uh, in this uh, in this new Gingrich moment. Uh, it's it's useful to look in particular at uh, an essay or a speech that uh, Mary Beth Sullivan 
co- uh, contributed, uh, which sort of tells the story of how Newt Gingrich saved the military-industrial complex uh, around about 1989, uh, when there was, was sort of the last push uh, of any major sort in Congress to begin undoing this, to begin what's called economic uh, um, conversion from, from you know, taking military factories and converting them, retooling and retraining and, and putting people to work in nonviolent industries, which is, of course, much more economically uh, efficient as well as all the other benefits. And there was a, there was a bill, there was a movement. We had the, 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 the Speaker of the House then Jim Wright and, and many Congress members uh, were on board, but Newt Gingrich came from a Lockheed Martin district, uh, and he began the attacks uh, privately and publicly and led the charge against any sort of peace dividend, any sort of uh, cutback in the military uh, with the end of the Cold War, and any sort of transfer of, of public largesse from military waste to spending on things that other countries spend on, on, on education and infrastructure and energy. Uh, so, I, you know, Newt Gingrich not, should not only not be running for president, he has a lot to answer for historically. He sure does, and not just in that context. You know, <clears throat> David Shreve writes a really interesting uh, essay in this book about the idea that I think that there's been this meme that's been launched for many years that, well, you know, we live in a military-based economy and that if we stopped making weapons of war that somehow the economy would collapse and that we would lose a catastrophic number of jobs but he takes a kind of a purely economist approach to this idea and kind of makes a case that it's really not as bad as it might seem talk a little bit about that essay because i think it opens the door to the possibility that we actually could transfer from a war-based economy to a peace-based economy well, of course we could. Uh, we couldn't do it in a week, but we right. could uh, begin it significantly in a year. Uh, there's no reason uh, we can't. Uh, Dave Shreve and several other authors cite the famous uh, study that's been done a number of times in the past uh, five years or so out of uh, University of Massachusetts Amherst, finding that the same dollars spent by the federal government on the military create fewer jobs and do less good for the economy, purely in economic terms, then spending on, on almost any other area, education, infrastructure, energy, etc., or even tax cuts for working people. Uh, it's worse than nothing in purely economic terms to be spending this money on the military. And you could do a process of economic conversion where you retrained and found work for everyone who was thrown out of work in the process, plus thousands and thousands of additional people who had been out of work or are underemployed uh, prior. Uh, and and there's, there's absolutely no reason not to do it except for the corruption, the, the corporate rights, the corporate personhood, and, the, uh, and some of the most powerful corporate persons are, of course, the military-industrial right. complex. We're, we're, choosing not, we're choosing not education, not mass transit, etc. Instead, we're choosing... Uh, aircraft carriers, bombs, missiles, and billionaires. We're choosing to create these billionaires. We need to summon the political volition to make this change. It is logistically possible. No new shortage of ideas out there. Uh, We have a call. David Swanson is our guest. He's editor of a new book called MIC at 50, The Military Industrial Complex at 50. Uh, Edward, you're on Mattis Hell in America with David Swanson. What's up, Edward? Hey, Adam. I wanted to ask uh, David... Uh, about the argument that 
Iran is a state sponsor of terror through Hamas and Hezbollah, and that David Trump and others say that that's the reason that we can't let them develop a nuclear bomb. And, you know, you look at what's happened with these assassinations of uh, their scientists and that they are an imminent threat to uh, Israel. Uh, how, how do you answer that? David, thanks for the call, Edward. Thank you. Well, well, you answer uh, crimes with criminal prosecution. You answer international crimes with international law. If you want to talk about state sponsorship of terrorism, the United States has been sponsoring terrorism, not to mention war, uh, in Iran and in that region for years now. Uh, 2007, 2008, Seymour Hersh began reporting uh, significantly on the U.S. use of not only funding organizations within Iran, including organizations that our own government labels terrorist, but sending special forces into Iran. We've been kidnapping people out of Iran, taking them to Iraq to, for what we call, quote-unquote, interrogation. Uh, there is every likelihood that these five most recent assassinations and other explosions and, uh, and events within Iran have been uh, CIA involved, not just Mossad. And ultimately, of course, the United States gives Israel over a billion dollars in weaponry a year, uh, has troops and equipment stationed in Israel, works hand-in-glove with Israel, and vetoes every measure of possible accountability for Israel's crimes at the United Nations. I say that in order to, to convey the reasons why Iran does not take seriously the idea that the United States is independent of Israeli threats on Iran. If the United States wanted to use its leverage uh, to, to de-escalate these tensions, uh, by, by pressuring Israel to take a step back, it certainly could, and Iran knows that. Uh, there, you know, there is just no justification, even if all the claims are true, from international terrorism to developing nuclear weapons to, to every single thing that has been claimed about Iran, there is no justification for war. There may be justification for criminal prosecutions, but nothing justifies war, which is just terrorism on a grander scale. So how is it that they, why is it that, that people are making this case again? I mean, it seems insane to me after Iraq and the madness that's gone on in Afghanistan that we have people kind of ramping up the rhetoric on a war against Iran, and we have Americans who've already swallowed this hook multiple times buying it. What, 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 I'm trying to get my head around why. Is it just simply to mobilize the warmongering base of the right, or is there any real intention behind this? What's going on there? Well, I think there's sort of two categories of answers. Uh, one relates to the general U.S. public, which is slowly moving in the direction of accepting another war, having bravely resisted supporting a, a war on Iran that, that bore such similarity to the war on Iraq. Uh, for years now, you're starting to see the approval tick up, and that it, it can be placed at the doorstep of a culture that accepts war as often necessary, if not uh, uh, 
desirable and glorious. And and the other category, of course, is the is the people pushing the propaganda, pushing the demand for war. The people who Wesley Clark and Tony Blair and others have told us have had a list of six or seven nations they wanted to overthrow in that region for several years now, who've been pushing this campaign, who've been plotting uh, lies, and and even in the case of Dick Cheney, possible staged assaults with phony Iranian ships and so forth for years, who for whom war is the first option first option that's and, right and they they profit from it i mean the military industrial complex cor- corrupts both of those groups right many americans find it harder to oppose militarism because it's their job it's their mm-hmm. employment it's their source of income it's part of their their education their, and their history and the military industrial complex is a huge corruptor of of the people in power in Washington, D.C., who stand to profit, whose friends stand to profit, uh, whose, whose think tanks and, and institutions of so-called intellectual advancement are, are funded and manipulated by it. Uh, David, let me interrupt you. Uh, Jeff's been holding a while. We're coming to the okay. end of the show. I want to make room for it. Uh, Jeff, welcome to Madison in America. Just a few minutes left. You're on with David Swanson. Hey, thanks, Adam. Great guest. Uh, excellent thanks. discussion. Um, I-, I wanted to bring up a, a line Bill Maher had last year um, that kind of uh, summarizes some a lot of this. And he said, all the other industrial countries in the world have free health care and affordable higher education. Here in America, instead of that frivolous stuff, we get a fighter jet flyover before the start of our football games. <laughs> and and isn't it up to – and I, had, I do have a question for David, but is, isn't it up to the president um, – in the state of the state of the union address uh, this week to say the future if we're to have a future here in america is about peace and sustainable prosperity not not more war and bankster imposed austerity and my question for david um, and only a few writers, I think, have brought this up. Like, Jeff, you better hurry up. i got okay, about two minutes. The, the question, David, uh, with the National Defense Authorization Act, the, the uh, mainstream media line is that Obama reluctantly signed this thing, this provision that uh, includes indefinite uh, detention of U.S. citizens. But Carl Levin, um, Glenn Greenwald, and others have pointed out that Carl Levin says that Obama, the White House, insisted on leaving that provision in. So um, can you expound on, on uh, what the uh, truth of that matter is? Great question. Thanks for the call, Jeff. David, we got about a minute left. you want to take a crack well, he, at that question? He said it on the floor of the Senate. It's not an assertion made by some blogger. It's hardly disputable. Uh, the president uh, threatened a veto because he wanted the bill to be made worse. He wrote a signing statement that unconstitutionally altered the worsened bill to make it even worse. And he uh, hypocritically and, and in a very misleading manner promised in an unprecedented way in that signing statement not to personally abuse these powers which he would pass on to every future president. But he promised not to lock anybody up without a trial in a military imprisonment. So you can take the comfort that your imprisonment will be non-military. Obama will, in his State of the Union, talk about government activism. I think the people of Iraq and Iran and Pakistan and Libya and Sudan and and the rest of that region would like a little less government activism out of Washington, (laughs) D.C. And I think the most offensive thing you will see at a football game is when they tell you we want to welcome our servicemen and women viewing from 177 nations around the world and nobody blinks. (laughs) That's that's sickness. Uh, David Swanson, thank you so much for coming on the show. I do appreciate it. Always enlightening to have you here. 
Thanks. Anytime. All right, David Swanson. You can check out his blog at davidswanson.org. Also at warisacrime.org. The new book, which you must read, is The Military Industrial Complex at 50. Uh, you can get more, as I said, davidswanson.org. You can buy it on Amazon. You can get it all over the place. Type in MIC at 50 and it will come up. Well, thank you all so much. I just love having such smart listeners, great guests. It's a pleasure to be here. As I said at the beginning of the show, it's just a pleasure to be alive today. You know, it's just in spite of everything, we've got to insist that life is a beautiful and good thing and that that will lead us where we need to go. I'm Adam Klugman. You've been listening to Mad as Hell in America. We will be back next week. Until then, remember to get mad, stay mad, give them hell.